You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 81, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking about three ways to manage your mental health during a crisis. If you're looking for resources during this time, head on over to technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative, and happy using technology. And sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find balance and manage your technology use with mindfulness. And now back to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. The challenges that we face today with the recent outbreak of COVID-19, also usually referred to just as the novel coronavirus or coronavirus, are extremely serious, of course, but they're not unprecedented. In fact, similar pandemics and epidemics have happened before. It's just that most of us living today have never experienced anything like this. And the experience of having to stay at home, away from our business, work, friends, our favorite restaurants or hangouts, and even visiting extended family is very strange and unsettling and, and ungrounding. And taken all together, this can feel in some ways like the world is just standing still on hold. And on top of all of this, just the uncertainty of how all of this is going to play out can be a real trigger for stress and anxiety. And whether things will get better soon or worse before they get better, our mind as it's triggered by anxiety, is programmed to cycle through the negative possibilities over and over again, which can add to the feelings of stress and worry. And this is just one of many reasons why it's important to learn and practice taking steps to manage and protect your own mental health during a crisis like this. And although there's no panacea or quick fix or, or simple solution to this, there are some simple practices that I'll talk about today that can often be very helpful to making you feel calmer and more in control, which is something that we all need now more than ever. So here's just three tips which I suggest uh, you consider and try out and see whether they are helpful for you. One is to use mindfulness to help you to see things as they are, as unfiltered as possible. And I say that because during times of great anxiety like this, it can be very hard to see things clearly. When fear fills our mind with feelings about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or the month after that, with our job, our loved ones, our own health and safety, that can affect how we see reality around us. Despite all of this, our minds can often act in strange ways. For example, sometimes our minds can act as if they are ignoring the events around us altogether and just acting as if nothing has happened and as if things are just normal all in an effort to avoid the reality that might cause us pain. It's a defense mechanism that helps us to avoid the pain of the reality around us. 
it can be really difficult to accept that such radical and sudden changes have occurred in our lives. But the sooner we can accept the reality of that change, the sooner we can come to some form of peace with it. And the practice of mindfulness is one way that we can help to learn to accept change more easily by increasing our self-awareness, helping us notice how we are internally and externally responding to change, and help us to notice when we're acting in a way that is avoidant, that is consciously or unconsciously avoiding seeing the reality around us for what it is. And with respect to the coronavirus, for example, I think really any kind of mindfulness meditation or mindfulness practice could be helpful in developing that ability to see the situation for what it is and help to decrease some of that avoidance or aversion type of reaction. For example, you might notice that you find yourself being unable to believe what's happening in your own life or what you're reading in the news about the coronavirus. That reaction of, I can't believe this, that can't be true, is an unintentional, habitual type of aversion reaction. And one thing you can practice, kind of mindfulness exercise, is you know, maybe starting with something that's not part of your own life, which might be more emotionally triggering, maybe something in the news about the coronavirus. You might just read one fact about an event that may be troubling to you and just sit in your mind on that fact. And if you're finding yourself having that reaction, this can't be true. Oh, it's going to have to get better tomorrow. Or that can't be real. See if you can just sit with that fact with an attitude of acceptance that it's real. Now, I don't mean acceptance that it's a good thing. I don't mean a value judgment that it's acceptable. I just mean acceptance of the fact that whatever it is you've just learned about has actually occurred. That's what I mean by acceptance. Uh, and that's an important point to make. Accepting that certain things are happening in relation to the coronavirus just means like a scientist you're observing these facts and accepting that they're real. It doesn't mean that you are accepting that things should be this way or that you shouldn't take any action to try to improve or change the situation. But the purpose of this exercise is actually just to focus on some fact or reality without turning yet to judgment about it or to thinking about what action you should take to change it, instead just sort of holding the reality that you're focused on in your mind and letting it be real. And if you notice any of those feelings of aversion, oh, this can't be real, or focus on trying to take an action or what I need to do, or a hope that it be different in the future, see if you can let those thoughts or feelings let them go for the moment for purposes of this exercise, just to practice being with the reality of the fact that you've learned about, as difficult as it may be. Another thing that mindfulness can help us with is to see when things aren't really as bad as we may think they are. And I am not trying to minimize in any way how bad things are with the coronavirus. 
all I'm pointing out is that sometimes our minds can exaggerate even truly bad things into being worse than they are, and that it's important to be able to see the full reality as clearly as possible for what it is. For example, in a crisis situation like this, where there is undeniably a lot of horrible, painful things going on, there are also some hopeful signs. And there are many positive things happening, people helping each other, for example, people really shining in their commitment to helping improve their fellow person's health. Uh, Think of all the medical professionals, for example. So our minds, though, often have a tendency to focus on the worst, just on the worst parts in a crisis, which is understandable, and also on the future and how bad things may be in the future. How bad is this going to get? Is it going to keep getting worse? You might have a feeling that things will always be this bad, or they could only get worse from here. And I'm not saying things won't get worse. I'm just trying to point out that our minds can have this tendency to do that in a way that can be independent of the facts. And by practicing mindfulness, we can help ourselves to develop a clearer, more realistic assessment of how things are, not denying or being aversive towards the negative, painful uh, truths, but also not exaggerating them beyond what they are, so that we can see the negative, the positive, and the neutral. And that's a very helpful attitude and skill, I think, to cultivate, particularly in a, in a time like this of crisis, when there is so much negative, it's easy for our minds to focus on that to the exclusion of other things. And it's also true that mindfulness practice can help us to increase our resilience in general. For example, in one study published in Personality and Individual Differences, researchers Badri Bajaj and Nirja Pandey found that and I'm quoting, individuals with higher mindfulness have greater resilience, thereby increasing their life satisfaction. I think from my own experience, one way in which that plays out is that by cultivating the ability to see a situation realistically for what it is, again, even if it is a truly painful one, by being able to cut short somewhat that tendency of the mind to just spiral out of control, that can help to weather difficult situations and not just uh, fall into a pit of despair. And this research study found that those people who have developed a higher capacity for mindfulness are often better able to cope with negative thoughts and emotions without being overwhelmed. I think that's what I mean by the not, not spiraling out of control, because you can notice using mindfulness when you're having a painful feeling and sit with it, and in a sense, short circuit that feedback loop that can build negative feeling on negative feeling on negative feeling. In a recent article in the New York Times, Brown University associate professor and uh, author of The Craving Mind, Judd Brewer, who I interviewed on an early episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, he talked about dealing with the cycle of anxiety that the recent coronavirus outbreak has caused many to fall into, very understandably. 
So Dr. Brewer said, I start by teaching people with anxiety about how their brains work so that they can see how uncertainty weakens the brain's ability to deal with stress, priming it for anxiety when fear hits. I mean, our ancient ancestors developed fear as a form of negative reinforcement. You know, if we got cornered by a tiger, it was fear that sprung us into action to get away, to back to the tribe and to safety. I mean, fear is a very valuable, adaptive feeling. It's very self-protective. And today, the same thing happens when we step into the street. And I'd say a car doesn't notice that we're walking there, doesn't see the green light for the pedestrian, right? We see that car coming, fear activates us so we can move out of the way. And we save ourselves and protect ourselves that way. That fear can be really helpful. And later on in our evolution as a species, the prefrontal cortex developed, which helps us in engaging in planning. It's also a major source of creativity. And going back to what uh, Judd Brewer said in his interview, this was a positive development, development of the prefrontal cortex, but it didn't come without complications. And Dr. Brewer says, if our information is lacking, our prefrontal cortex lays out different scenarios about what might happen and guesses which of them will be the most likely. It does this by running simulations based on previous events that are most similar to what we're experiencing now. And the problem, Dr. Brewer says, is that when our prefrontal cortex doesn't have enough information to make an accurate prediction, anxiety is born. And that's exactly what's happening with the current coronavirus situation. So Dr. Brewer goes on to say, without accurate information, it's easy for our brains to spin stories of fear and dread. I mean, without knowing how long the coronavirus outbreak will last, without knowing when the lockdown will end in our own area or how widespread the virus will eventually be, how many people are going to be affected, we can find ourselves left in a perpetual cycle of anxiety that only gets worse. And Unfortunately, this can get even worse than that when factoring in what scientists call social contagion, which is the spread of emotion from one person to another. Going back to Judd Brewer, he says that the fearful words of another person are like a sneeze landing directly on our brain, emotionally infecting our prefrontal cortex. So how do we beat this cycle, which can become a really significant negative feedback loop where our negative feelings build on each other? Fortunately, we can do something about it. Judd Brewer, who's a specialist in addiction, which you know, many addictions, or if not all addictions, are, involve these negative feedback loops where behaviors spiral out of control. And he says to hack our brains and stop the cycle of anxiety we need to do two things. First is to notice that you're starting to get anxious and notice what the result of that anxiety is. So for example, what are you anxious about? And investigate whether that anxiety is actually helping you to survive or making your situation worse. In reality, anxiety is often 
harmful to both your mental and physical health, and it gets worse over time. Now, we know that just recognizing that anxiety is harmful is not necessarily going to stop you from feeling anxious. But this is where Judd Brewer suggests bringing in what he calls a bigger, better offer, an offer to your brain. So he says that our brain will always choose more rewarding behaviors if we make it really clear to our brains that they are more more rewarding. So what you need to do is replace your old habit of worrying and panicking with more rewarding behaviors. Remember, your brain sees the worrying as rewarding because it could help save you from some real harm. So for example, he says that if you start worrying about whether you're going to get sick because you touched your face, you can ask yourself, when was the last time I washed my hands? So you're providing your brain with some information that breaks that cycle of worry provides it with some information that can actually decrease the anxiety. And if you do that and you remind yourself, oh, you know, I actually washed my hands really recently uh, before I touched my face and I washed my hands thoroughly. And you notice then how good it makes you feel that you're practicing this good hygiene and that you did that before you touched your face. This can help send a signal to your brain that will motivate you to continue that behavior, the good hand washing, and it can help over time, you know, not just in one instance of reminding yourself, but if you keep practicing this, it can over time start to quiet that worrying habit. And asking yourself questions like this during a time when anxiety is just starting to pick up before it spiraled out of control can activate your prefrontal cortex and allow it to do its thing, which is to engage in that rational kind of thought. Only this time, you've given your prefrontal cortex a way of predicting what's going to happen so it can take back control. And you know this is the challenge, the challenge of getting our rational brain to kick into gear so that our more primitive parts of our brain don't just fully take over and spiral our fears out of control. So in fact, this type of technique, which is just one, is so effective that in one study, Judd Brewer's lab found that basic awareness training, such as this, that example I gave you is a form of basic awareness training and and some basic mindfulness practices can reduce anxiety by as much as 57% in as little as two to three months. Another thing you can do, and I'll mention this briefly, is to engage in some amount of digital fasting during a time of crisis like this, particularly when you know we're just flooded with news constantly. Roughly a decade ago, Emmy-nominated filmmaker and the previous guest on this podcast, Tiffany Schlain, after she had gone under some great stress due to several difficult events that compounded on one another, and, and when she found she really wanted a change she decided to start doing what she called a technology Shabbat for her and her family. And she's been doing it ever since now for many years. The idea is very simple. They use technology six days a week, like normal. And on the seventh day of the week, for them it's a a Saturday, Friday night through Saturday. It could be Sunday or other day for you and your family. They take off the whole day from technology, no screens. And it sounds simple, but Tiffany Schlange says that the result 
to her and her family feels like magic. So I'm going to quote her here. She says, it seems to defy the laws of physics as it both slows down time and gives us more of it. I laugh a lot more on that day without screens. I notice everything in greater detail. I sleep better. It strengthens my relationships and makes me feel healthier. It allows me to read, to think, to be more creative, and to reflect in a deeper way. Each week, I get a full reset. Schlein says it even helps her to appreciate technology more because it places her tech use in perspective. She says that just that simple practice bleeds into the other days of the week, making her entire relationship with tech and her life as a whole better as a result. During a time when you and your kids' tech use may become even more frequent due to just boredom and being stuck indoors all the time now, setting up a weekly digital fast can help you curb your tech use and stay healthy. And if you find yourself being constantly glued to the news, and I know that there is some real basis for wanting to check the news more frequently now, setting some kind of limit on news consumption can be really helpful. If you feel that you can't take a full day off from the news, at least set some other boundaries. You know, no news an hour before bed and an hour after waking up. Maybe on this Shabbat that you pick or a day of of no tech use, you only check the news twice for very limited periods of time as necessary or something like that. So even if you feel you can't take a full break, see if you can find ways to limit the technology use now when it is even more stressful, I find, than at other times to give your body and your mind and your nervous system a break from being so hyper-aroused and agitated. So to, to summarize today's episode, in order to help manage your mental health during this crisis and any other crisis or period when you're feeling very high anxiety, the three takeaways and suggestions I've given are to Practice mindfulness to help you see things more clearly as they actually are. Take steps to hack your brain's anxiety cycle and use some digital fasting to give your mind and body a break from the stress created from tech use, particularly news, social media, and other things that can amp up our anxiety and stress. Thanks so much for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin. I hope this podcast has been of value to you to help you manage your mental health during this crisis. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative, and happy using technology. And sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find balance and manage your technology use with mindfulness. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast.